Welcome to NeuroPodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. To get the most out of this episode, we recommend downloading the supplementary case notes which are available on Vital. Here you'll find more information about the case, including history, examination and investigation findings. We hope you enjoy listening. Today with Dr. Smith, one of the consultant neurologists from the Walton Centre and uh, expert in epilepsy. So we're going to go through a case today uh, and just from a background, we've got an 18-year-old right-handed female who attended A&E. She presented with a loss of consciousness and on taking the history, she had a witness blackout while at work. There was no prior warning and she came around with people around her feeling dazed and confused and had been told that she'd had a fit. She'd been incontinent of urine, but there was no tongue biting, and she can't recall the ambulance arriving, but does recall being in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. She's otherwise well, and had been out the evening before, celebrating a friend's birthday, and had had a bit to drink, and had got home quite late. When we look at the history a bit further, she's reported recurrent episodes where her arms will suddenly jump, and this happens particularly in the morning. She's dropped cups of tea and toothbrushes. She's got no past medical history, works as a hairdresser and is a non-smoker, and of note in this situation, she also drives. Her examination's normal uh, from both a cardiovascular and neurological point of view. So, Dr. Smith, when faced with this kind of problem, how do you approach things? So the, so the first thing you've got to consider in somebody who's lost consciousness uh, is whether or not it could have been a seizure uh, or something uh, else like a faint. Um, the absence of a warning so loss of consciousness without warning uh, uh, would be more supportive of uh, a seizure than a faint. Um, and the presence of amnesia and incontinence would both be considered to be seizure markers. So from what I've heard so far, I, I would think this is more likely to have been a seizure. The second question you've got to ask uh, is whether the uh, seizure would, was provoked or unprovoked um, and the possibility that this seizure was provoked uh, uh, include factors such as her being out on a late night and having consumed alcohol so the seizure might have been provoked by uh, lack of sleep uh, and alcohol. Uh, now you have to be clear here what we mean by provoked. You can have provoked seizures uh, for all sorts of systemic and cerebral reasons in anyone, uh, but you can also have uh, a, a, predispos a genetic predisposition to epileptic seizures where they're provoked uh, by lack of sleep. Uh, and I'd be suspicious of that possibility in this case. Uh, there are two other factors which would support that contention, which include her age uh, and the other history of uh, twitches, which sound like myoclonus, uh, tending to occur in the morning. So I think she's probably got a form of epilepsy. So you mentioned seizure markers. What are particular seizure markers for you when you're taking histories? Well, the D-Valley lists several uh, seizure markers, uh, including the, the main ones, I think, would be uh, observed confusion, uh, amnesia, usually for a matter of uh, minutes, uh, tongue biting, 
uh, unexplained injury. Th those would be the main ones for me. Incontinence is listed by the DVLA, uh, but that can occur in, in uh, loss of consciousness for other reasons, even, even fainting. So uh, that would be less of a, a distinguishing factor for me. Okay, great. So what investigations would you consider when assessing this patient? So the NICE guidance will tell you that in anybody with a seizure, you should do an ECG. Um, uh, but there are features about this story which suggest that she's got a, a genetically determined generalised epilepsy. Uh, so I would want an EEG. Any scans or is that not in No, I, I, I wouldn't do a scan in this situation, although I know they're often done when the patient comes to A&E. Uh, if I did an EEG and it was normal or showed a focal abnormality, uh, I would be pushed towards doing a scan. If it showed generalized spike and wave, um, which indicates bilateral seizure onset, uh, it can't be coming from a focus, uh, and therefore uh, the EEG would be enough to give me a syndromic diagnosis. Okay. Um, we've got some bloods and a CT scan from the A&E department, which are both normal, um, before this patient got referred to you. But say so, she's had an EEG, and this EEG demonstrates 3 to 6 hertz generalised polyspike and wave discharge when she's at rest, just at baseline. So, based on that investigation, is there any, anything else that you'd do, or what would you tell the patient at this point? Okay, so, so the, the, the classification of epilepsy... Uh -huh. Uh, involves a number of factors, uh, mainly the age of onset, uh, the seizure type, uh, the presence or absence of a family history, any other neurological deficit, and test results, EEG and scan, and sometimes um, molecular biology. In this instance, the things to pick out are that she's a teenager. Um, the seizure type that she presented with was a tonic-clonic without warning, which would suggest a bilateral onset. The second seizure type she has is twitches, mainly in the morning, which are myoclonic jerks. Her EEG shows generalised polyspike and wave. Um, so if you take all that together, th this is juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. You tell her this in clinic. Um, she's obviously got some questions. Uh, based on the events and based on the diagnosis we've reached, what advice would you give her regards to dri driving safety? Okay, so she can't drive uh, until she's been completely seizure-free for 12 months. And by completely seizure-free, that means no tonic-clonic seizures or myoclonic seizures. Okay. What treatment advice would you give at this point? Well, I, I, I would recommend that she did two things. Number one, uh, start medication. Uh, and number two, avoid the seizure precipitants. So that's particularly avoiding sleep deprivation, plus or minus excessive alcohol consumption. Okay. Do you uh, want to be specific about treatments? Yeah, should we talk briefly about treatment? So what sodium, about the bullet point? Right, so the, so the, the key issue here is that <laughs> sodium valproate is, is un undoubtedly the most efficacious compound. It's been shown in randomized controlled trials to be more efficacious than lamotrigine, tepiramate, or levetiracetam. And my suspicion is that those studies don't indicate the size of the difference in efficacy between uh, valproate and these other drugs. Uh, 
Um, however, uh, valproate is teratogenic, 10% risk of major malformations, 30 to 40% risk of fetal valproate syndrome with learning disability. Uh, and nowadays, if we want to prescribe this drug, it has to be done uh, with informed consent uh, and in accordance with a thing called the Pregnancy Prevent Program where the patient uh, has to be taking highly effective contraception whilst on valproate uh, and this uh, has to be, this assessment has to be repeated every year which is not very practical. This I think, uh, the risk associated with this drug ha has led to um, the increasing use of the other drugs which are less efficacious. Uh, this was lamotrigine initially. Uh, I suspect it's lamotrigine being superseded by levetiracetam. Although, as I said earlier, uh, I don't think there is any evidence that either of those drugs is as effective as sodium valproate. So, just as a quick recap, so we've had a young lady presenting with a history consistent with a tonic-clonic seizure. Uh, there were a couple of seizure markers in there that we pointed out and when we looked at the history further she had some myoclonic events which were evidence of a secondary seizure type. So we discussed whether seizures can be provoked or unprovoked, the classification of seizures by age, seizure type, EEG and family history also. So as we point out with this lady she's young, she's got, had two seizure types, the tonic-clonic and the myoclonic and on her EEG she's got changes that would be consistent with a generalised epilepsy, so a diagnosis of juvenile myoclonic epilepsy can be reached in this case. With each diagnosis of epilepsy there's safety considerations and this lady, the DVLA uh, would state that she has to be seizure free from driving for 12 months and in terms of treatments there's both non-pharmacological and pharmacological measures that can be taken to try and reduce the risk of seizure recurrence. Yeah, so the one other thing you, you would probably want to introduce uh, at the outset uh, with juvenile myoclonic epilepsy is that the prognosis is good. Uh, she's likely to get lengthy periods uh, of remission, particularly on valproate, and, and also possibly on the other compounds mentioned, but I think less likely on those drugs. Um, on the other hand, the uh, chances of relapse if you stop medication are very high. So you have to introduce to the patient the likelihood that they're going to be on lifelong medication. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly.